HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to the Heritage Radio Network on tour at Charleston Wine and Food 2022. I'm Sam Ben Ruby and we, from the Grape Nation, and we are broadcasting live from the heart of the Culinary Village. My guest today is Weston Horde. He is the Piedmont guy, so that's a little telling. We'll get into that. So, Weston, welcome to the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. Sam Ben Ruby, good to be with you, man. First time we met, pleasure to have you. All right, so I want to get a few things out of the way. The first thing you have to tell me is how a six foot four guy from Minnesota who maybe can dunk, but I'm going to say no. No. Wound Clarified, up schle- no. Wound up schlepping Italian wines specifically from Piedmont, you know, which is a favorite of mine and a terrific region. So there's a story there. Let's talk about it. I mean, you know, the beautiful question of why does a six foot four guy whose family, by the way, are either recovering alcoholics or never cared about wine <laughs> happens to That's sell a good only range. <laughs> Piedmont drugs um, is a great lead in. I mean, it's, right. it's actually nice when I'm pitching people, too, because I can tell them all the reasons I shouldn't be in the wine business. Um, I, I don't have a, you know, I didn't come from a winemaking family. I didn't grow up with, uh, you know, influential wine people. I, I fell into it. And um I have a weird brain for wine, but that came with time and mistakes to figure out. Well, let's talk about the fall-in part. Yeah. Because you fell into it, you fell in at a certain time, a certain place, met a certain person, and that pretty much was off to the races. So that's, yeah, I'm curious about that. Okay, the real start would be with a mentor in New Zealand when I studied abroad, who was part chemist, part probably alcoholic and super passionate, lovely man uh, named Jeff Weston, who just gave me the bug. And that that little tiny, ah, that's what wine is, that's how you make it. That's it, that's the gateway, right? Exactly. Came back from my undergraduate degree, not knowing what I wanted to do, took a job with a friend working in their winery, one of the only wineries in Minnesota, uh, realized that I liked wine, and then, you know, distribution, worked in retail, and... Finally, ended up at a wine tasting um, back in the day of the Vindavino Empire in uh, Chicago and met a woman who made wine in a little village called Castiglione Filetto and decided to pick up everything and move because she would have me. So who was that woman? Her name is Elisa Scavino. So Scavino is not just a run-of-the-mill wine name, right? No, it's a, it's a, so let's talk about that for a second. It's a lovely um, Barolo producer, Elisa and her sister Enrica. 
Uh, and of course, Enrico Scavino, um, all in the village of Castiglion Faletto, a, a, a blue chip Barolo house that deserves right. their name. And they were uh, kind enough to, you know, take me in with no analogy background, uh, not a lot of skills, really. Probably a bad salesman. So you were kind of on your too. way in there, on your way out of there, but you wound up hanging. Yeah, we, we hung out for four years, and um, you know it started out with um, with a love interest, and that when that stopped in 2011, I moved back. But I would not. Did have it this end because the love interest ended, yeah. or it yeah, yeah it ended and you hung you got out of there after a that. Minnesota boy and a Castellano yeah. Faletto girl were ill fated. You think? <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while to get it, uh, but but I but I should just shout out to it was Scavino who got me where I am. Big so time. I'm, I'm thankful. Um, so skill-wise, you're hanging around, you know, good people for four years. You come back here with what type of stuff that you're feeling good about? Is it like importation? Is it the business? Is it winemaking? Is it all of the above? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, Sam, and to put it together, I had no production skills. So moving to a village of 500 people and working in the cellar to learn how to make that wine, but it. also to understand the economics between a bottle of wine in Piedmont, the players, the land, that inside loop that would not have come if I was some great psalm that was lucky enough to do a stage and right. earned my way into Piedmont. Um, that, that's the piece that allowed me then to take a very specific niche and make it a business. That's great. So you come back to the States 2011, right? 2011. With yep. the four years of the Scavino thing, which we just talked about. What happens then? I mean, are you on the plane thinking, like, maybe I could do that? You have no idea? I mean, how does this whole thing gel? So I'm at Vin Italy, and um, I'm there. It's the year that it's Vin Italy in Italy? In Italy, not in Italy Verona. Yeah. And uh, a lovely man who owns a great restaurant in Chicago, Aldo Zarinotto, Osteria Lange. Still around? Oh, yeah. He's still a good place? Still a great place. Okay. Great guy, great wine. Owns a Piedmont bar and restaurant in Chicago. I like that. And uh, he sits me down at Vin Italy and he says, Hey, Weston, I don't know if you know this, but the, the EU sponsors people through funding to be ambassadors for wine things. It's called the OCM. You should, you should look into begging for money from your producers for the OC, OCM to get you started. So, you know, in my mind, I'm turning, how do I, you know, what do I do now? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm leaving Italy, not because but I wasn't- But wait, you could beg them for money for business to start up? That, that's the premise? You're not begging the EU. No, you're, no. You're going to a producer saying, some of that funding you right, get, right, right, can right. you help me out? But it's to help business guys start businesses. Okay, so I, I went got to it. these producers, and my Sam, my angle in the beginning was to not be another layer in the wine business. I thought this the wine business in America is so fraught with tiers of systems. Terrible. So I said, okay, I'm going to cut that out. I'm going to introduce the wineries to the distributors, and I'll be a broker, and I'll help them. I'll basically be like a Piedmont agent. All right, so you're starting to answer a question that I wanted to ask, yeah. which was sort of what was the intention and mission when you started the business. So the whole tier thing drove you nuts. So you wanted to get by that, keep going. I mean, you wanted to formulate this business that... I mean, look, Piedmont, so 10, 11 years ago, Piedmont was less mainstream than it is now. So, yeah, could you I sell know. Barolo with 100 points from a one of 10 producers? Sure, but... It, there was so much happening, and the wines were already at a tier that was hard to get people in the game. So being another tier on top of that didn't make sense. 
So I, my whole design was if I can keep pricing lower, I can get more people in, and then I will be the voice piece of why people should buy these wines. I'll help the distributors sell them. And the wineries will use me as their kind of on-the-ground U.S. agent to make that happen. So when you say sell it lower, you're willing to take a hit on the margins just to create volume and get it going? Yeah, I mean, as a broker, you don't own inventory. You right. don't own risk. So you, right. So you work at 10% you can take that risk. and you, you, know, you build a business. And back to the OCM, the money, when you're not selling any wine or you're not helping your producers yet with a lot of distributors, that little amount of money a month really gave me a place to start. I mean, I started it without any bank loans. I didn't have, you know, I... But then let's go to the next step. The next step is you sort of have this mentality about the type of wines, the type of people, the stories, the farming, you know, all of that stuff. I mean, you sort of curated or you were specific about what you wanted to do, right? And what was that? Yeah, so the Lange was my home because I lived in Barolo. So I knew some great producers that were under the radar, in my opinion. So I went to my kind of network, which at the this time... This is the four years of being around. You get the lay of the land exactly. and all that. Exactly. Okay. And, you know, we could go into who those people are and how those stories happen. But I had a really cool corral of small group, three people, three wineries. And I went to these distributors who I knew. I mean, I worked for Scavino, and my job at the end was helping them run the U.S. importing distribution network. So I knew a lot of people, but I also wanted to... Branch out oh, wait. to the people. I, I don't mean to keep no, interrupting, but Scavino, which is as good as anyone at that point, needed help. Well, Scavino, so the history of that is Scavino worked with Mark de Grazia for ever. Mark de Grazia and Scavino stopped in 2009, uh, 20, 2009. So they needed to carve a new the pack. world. That was like, you know, that was a huge part of their production. So it right. was, hey, you know, Scandinavia boy, do something you're better at and help us rebuild the market. So Asia, a little bit of Scandinavia in the U.S., I started, you know, helping sell wine. So now the portfolio that you have, talk to me about the type of people. There are smaller producers, um, sensible farming. I mean, give me the whole, you know, mindset. I mean, Sam, You can I'm, pick whoever you want. Yeah, this yeah. is who I have. This is why. Okay, so first it should just be clear to anyone that cares to listen that I do not work out of Piedmont. The back label says we do Piedmont, we only do Piedmont, we well, always were, only do Piedmont. I'm glad I didn't have to convince you here, but you were smart enough to eventually leave Minnesota to come to New York. Well, I, I had, that wasn't I, a good move. I had there. to do that, yeah. So that's, I mean, 2011, I moved back to the States. I spent some time in Chicago. I built the Midwest. I built the center of the country first, which as an importer is rare. So that's the other thing. I was a broker. I had a distributor who couldn't pay their bills. My winery said, hey, either you, someone pays us or we're going to stop doing this. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to own the inventory and pay you. And I, it, was a, it was a transition that happened. You know, me keeping inventory and becoming this thing called an importer was not the plan in the beginning. Um, and there's a, really, there's a reason that works well in my world that's, that's not the old style of the monster three-tier system, right. which we can go into if we want. But Nah, that... Yeah. The, the, the point is, is better that... better things to talk about. I started in the Midwest. I moved to New York. Um, when? What year? 2014. So I, before then, were you traveling to New York much, or...? I was, I was building markets. I mean, I, you know, I was at 11 markets before I moved to New York, and you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a disorganized, somewhat bad salesperson, and I was trying to 
keep a lot of people. Listen, let me help you here. You're bad, but not as bad as you say, but continue. Okay, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, and I, I happened to um, get hooked up with the Grand Cru team in New York. So at the day, that was Ned Benedict. Um, Ned was the best. Ned, God Ned's bless the man. God bless. Uh, Robert Bohr, and at the time, Liz Willette. So this triumvirate of cool wine people who had never decided to bring in an importer because they were DIing everything. And had very little or no Italian wine. Yeah, they, well, they actually had some Italian wine, but they, you know... Yeah, they they, the you're old, right, like Rocco, were, uh, you know, some good stuff. Ronca di Nemitz. Di Nemitz, had, right. I mean, they had a fair amount of DI, but, you know, you're right. for me to pitch Ned Benedict and say, you should be buying from me as a tier, the only reason that would work is because I did one thing better than someone else could do it. If what? I tried to pitch Ned on anything else... Ned would tell me what he probably told most people in friendly conversations. Yeah, he was pretty straight we'll on air. Yeah. But um, that was the beginning. I mean, Grand Cru was, has, and still is a lovely partner of so ours. So the association with Grand Cru goes that far back? Yeah. yeah I didn't realize that. I thought you were building things up. I mean, I, I have a bad memory. I might be making up the year. It might be 15. No, no, no. But it's, but it's, that, a, it's earlier on than that. It's that time. It's I mean, earlier it, on than that. We'll get into that a little. But I want to, you know, pick your brain on a few things. I think when people think of Piedmont... They think of three things. They think of Barolo. They think of Barbaresco. They certainly think of Nebbiolo if they know you know what's going on. Give me a little primer, primer on the region. And let's not get too nerdy or too long. But it. location, climate, so, you know, it's a unique region. It is Barolo. It is Barbaresco. But I eventually want to get to the place that there are other varietals and places, you know, like Alto Piedmonte and all that. Yeah. But... What, what should, you don't have a lot of time. It's the elevator pitch. What should people know? Okay. Piedmont, one of 20 wine regions in Italy. Right. Northwest corner. Piedmont means Piedimontagna, foot of the mountain, surrounded by France to the west, Switzerland to the north, and the Italian Riviera, Liguria to the south. So a, a, a horseshoe of mountains that create the terroir for Piedmont. That's part one. Most famous wine zone in Piedmont, the Lange, which means the villages of, the ranges of Barolo and Barbaresco, okay? But that is a... Uh, How many a, villages are there? We won't get into them, but are, are you know, they dozens? In Barolo, there are 11 villages okay. where if you plant this grape called Nebbiolo, you age it for are the correct amount the of cruise, time. Are those the cruise, or you nope, don't refer nope. to that? No, so the way it breaks down is this thing called Barolo, 11 villages. One of those villages also called Barolo, just to right. make it extra confusing... If you plant Nebbiolo and you age it for the correct amount of time in the right place, you may write on the label after that time Barolo. Barbaresco, four villages. By the way, MSs out there are potentials, not three. You have to include San Elvio d'Alba. There's four villages in Barbaresco. A river called the Tanaro, which is just above Barbaresco and Barolo. And then north and south, a whole range of somewhat discovered to undiscovered areas that are worth knowing about. But exciting. Oh. Yeah. Awesome. So that was my point. People know Barolo, Barbaresco. They know the grape Nebbiolo. So we got that out of the way. So I'm but more... Even that's new, man. Before it was, oh, I rented a villa in Tuscany. My wife and I love this spot. Now it's, oh, I've been to Barolo. I had white well, truffles in Alba. What did you say? There were 40 wine regions in Italy? Yeah, 20. 20, 20. but still a lot. But I would say Barolo's like top two. You know, it's like Tuscany and Barolo. I, I, mean, I plead the... Uh, top one. I'm with you. I plead the, no, no, I plead I'm the, with you uh, on diplomatic that. You card. But you yes, don't I, have I agree. To, you don't have to twist my arm on that. So let's talk about 
something that is important to you, something you do, and there are some great winemakers in those areas in Barolo and Barbaresco. But let's talk about other regions. I mean, yeah. I'll throw one on the table, Alto Pomante. What else? Yeah, Tell so, me wh- I, I mean, and, and to your point, we want people to not be so geeked out that they leave this going, what right. are you talking about? I would say, to your point, um, Ben, Alto Piemonte is the up-and-coming area for understanding this grape called Nebbiolo. Why? To simplify that answer, it's an old, historically proven region before the Lange was famous for making some of the greatest wines in Italy. So it has the history and the chops. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So... It's complex, little villages, lots of different terroirs, micro-producers, wines aren't cheap, so there's barriers to entry, but it's worth it. Um, and we can, we can dive deeper in that, but Alto Piemonte, I mean, it's coming. The, the coasts, you know, the biggest markets, they know it, they love it, they get it, and that's in thanks to, you know, older importers, Neil Rosenthal. Um, uh, Been well, I mean, there's, a few years, right? Yeah, that just that just have led this torch of bringing in not the easiest to sell, but great wines. Right. Um, and then you know, there's other things that don't involve Nebbiolo. Um, the Colli Tortonese, so the southern zone of Piedmont, and a great grape called Timorasso, which is right. a white varietal. And if you want to know where, is that two where, M's or two S's? Two M's. Two M's. T I M M O R A S S O. Right. Timor. I want people to look for it. Yeah. And if 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 you want to know where some of the great, you know, unknown varietals are coming from the Colli Tortonese and Timorasso. I mean, you have a lot of serious Barolo producers that are investing in this place now because it's great white wine. So, and then let's let me give a quick shout out shoot. to Erbaluce, Arnais, Cortese. I mean, Italy has. I wanted to talk to you about that. I great mean, whites. you import what? One of you, when you look at the portfolio, and then when you say, "What's this guy's story?" Part of your mindset is there's a big interest in white wines. Um, so we talked about Timorasso. Isn't the how do you pronounce it? Roero. Yeah. Isn't that what's growing there? So the Roero is home of another DOCG for white called Arnais. 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 Arnais can be guys like Vietti are bringing them back. Yeah, and all that, I mean, right? and Vietti deserves a lot of credit for being one of the first real international marketers of the grape. And then inside of the Roero, you have producers from the Roero, uh, Cornarea, Domenico Mondo, Angelo Negro, who I work with. Right. People who, you know, have always focused principally on that varietal. Um, and, and, and in my world, Ben, I get to choose a producer for a specific grape. So I chose Angelo Negro because I wanted an Arnais focused house. I wanted MGA crew fruit from the right part of the DOCG where the fossils exist in the in Piedmont. So the way the world was then, when you approached him, he didn't have representation. Well, in the family of or Angelo he was Negro, looking they for are, a guy that got it. Or they're just they're they're a machine. That family could sell really? snow to the land of really? Minnesota. They're they're just a lovely family that knows. I mean, they're they're just a powerhouse, and they they knew me from my Scavino days, and they said. This is ridiculous. We either have people that don't pay us or we can't get people to care. And, <laughs> right, listen, right, right. and, and, and 11 years ago, selling our nace, you know, it still isn't like selling Barolo, but it, people know what the grape is. So, you know, I think that a lot of people were like, well, if you don't make a B wine, you know, I'm not going to import it. And, and that's pigeonholing, you know, everyone that's an importer, which I don't mean to do, other than to say right. an Arnace producer now, like an Angelo Negro caliber, it was nice getting in a decade ago because yeah. you wouldn't have that kind of access now. 
do you have other producers dedicated to white? Yeah, so I work with a winery in a village called Caluso. Caluso is Alto Piemonte. Spelled C-A-L-U-S-O. And they they have a D-O-C-G for a white grape called Erba Luce. E-R-B-A-L-U-C-E. Um, so that's a DOCG. We're um, dropping a lot of good knowledge here. I know. I hope. I, <laughs> no, no, no. I hope you people, guys are I post a lot over. of this stuff too. You know, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll remind people. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, I think that red wine still takes the lion's share of the international interest in Piedmont. But you should know about certain regions for white. And they, they do live up to their uh, domestic reputation in Italy. Right. And I think. You know, when you talk about people like you that bring in white wines and Vietti committing to it, they believe in it, you know, so they get behind it. Um, talk to me about two things I know not enough stuff about. Gattinera and Gemme. Is yep. that how you say Gemme? Uh, Gemme. Gemme. Yep. And just tell me a little about that and any involvement. Okay, so two villages, both Alto Piemonte villages. Right. Gattinara, one of the most historical, um, a few major producers that... Gattinara is probably, right now, the most known of the Alto Piemonte villages, yeah? Um, all right, so let's, let's be a little shameless and talk about you a little. Let's talk about some of your producers. So, my buddy Matt Tunstall carries Odero by the glass over Thank at you, Stems and Skins. <laughs> Um, I would think Odero's one of your, you know, higher profile guys. Yeah, I mean, Christiana... But t- talk to me about, you know, how many different producers you're dealing with. We talked about some of them. Um, so when Piedmont guys started, Sam, people didn't know who I was, and they right. basically let me in the door because they saw the name Odero. And Odero has been with me since the beginning. And, really? Yeah, and now Odero... And it's a wonderful label. Oh, and they're wonderful people, and Which they makes it better, right? the wine, the limelight they're now having. So that has been a lovely piece. I get to represent houses that have historical significance like Odero, and I represent garages that have two hectares that, you know, make... That's super cool. So you just pointed. Let's talk about this wine quickly. So Uh, you brought a bottle of wine that we've been sipping on. Is that what you'd consider a garages wine? Oh, yes. Okay, so that's that's cool on its own. Let's just talk about it quickly. A guy named Johnny Bonino grew up in a village called Castellengo, did not know how to make wine, but knew how to farm. Decided to partner with a man named Cristiano Gorella, who happens to be one of the most forward-thinking enologists in the area, and they created a partnership in a wine called Cascina Preziosa. Small, I mean, I'm talking three hectares in size, which is, I mean, you have to, you have to know what that means, but it means garagist. And, <clears throat> you know, they make wine on a region that falls into this very unknown thing called Costa della Sesia. But they make Grand Cru amazing Nebbiolo. And it's, it's out of, you know, they're, they're passionate. So is it hard to find, hard to get? Oh, it's hard to sell. It's hard to find. Okay. You know, it's, it's great to taste. But, you know, the world needs it's time It's funny when to you ask, it. is it hard to find? You usually don't get like, oh, it's hard to sell. Oh, but. no, I mean, some of my best okay. things are the hardest to sell. Um, we, but that's part of my job. I mean, that's why I wake we, up. we got to wrap up soon. But tell me about something that's sort of personal to you. That's the Ercole project. Are yeah. you doing that? Yeah. So, I mean, Ercole was born. Ercole. Uh, yeah. Ercole was. Correct me. No, that's cool. 
It was born out of an idea to try and democratize wine. I mean, it's hard to get people but to try fifty dollars Democratize wine. Your effort to do that, or I wanted indigenous grapes from Piedmont. But, but you drove yeah, yeah. the democracy. I, I, I created this label. You were there. You knew the people. You had an idea. I mean, the minute story on this is so, at the time, Monferrato was an unknown wine region with a lot of people selling wine to co-ops. Co-ops can be the greatest value and the worst value. It depends on how you shop. So because I buy only only Piedmont wine and I buy it for 45 states, I can have a relationship with a co-op where I get indigenously correct grapes, not fussy, not makeup, and I can put them in a liter bottle and I get people to taste wine at a price that it's hard to do in Piedmont. That's awesome. That's, that's the idea. Of it. Now, what kind of production on that? A little more readily available? Oh, yeah, or? no, it's by, I mean, we make a lot of it. You do? We make a lot of it. It's, uh, you know... First taste is free. So we're in Charleston. I'm from New York. You're Midwest, but in, can you find the wines? Definitely. You know, pretty much around. Definitely. So that's E R C O L E. Ercole. Yeah. And how many SKUs? I mean, there's like three, four, five. There's a there's a red. There's a white. There's a rosé. There's a Moscato, which is a sweet, low alcohol white. And now, just released, there's a sparkling Petnat. Oh, nice. So yeah. So you got a, a bunch of SKUs there. So look for that. All right, we got to wrap up. Um, I want to thank Weston Horde. As you can sense, you know, Weston is doing some great stuff in Piedmont, very passionate, doing some interesting things. If we want to find more information on your wines, the Piedmont guy, which is who you are and the name of your company, you know, people are sitting here going, this guy sounds cool, these wines sound great. Where do I get them? What's the best place to, you know... You know, not just for me, I'll give a shout-out. Turn the bottles around and look at the importers. Learn about the importers. And if you like the importer, chances exactly. are they have other stuff you're going to love, And if too. you taste Eric and you go, that's a bunch of crap, you can, you can know to not look <laughs> right. for a Piedmont guy. And if you get it, there. you can go, wow. You know, and that's the same thing for any good importer. When you start to learn wine, you're never going to know every skew. So either find someone you trust in the business in a wine shop or at a restaurant or start to turn around bottles and learn who these people are that care. So I am such a big proponent of that, and I'm glad that you brought it up. Don't be intimidated. Go into a wine shop, but go into like what you know is kind of a cool wine shop. Tell them your profile. Tell them your price points. These guys work so hard to bring like your wines in because you work so hard to get them there. There's that. And then if you look at the back of the bottle, the importer... If you love it, they have a sensibility with other wines, which is, you know, really great. But can we go to, like, a website like the Piedmont Guy or something just yeah, to the, know more about the, the producer? The Piedmont Guy is a real website now. I hired smarter people <laughs> than me God. to help me. Thank God. Um, so, you know, that's there. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of good. If you're interested in information, you can get a lot of geeky Yeah, I mean, I've been on there. the site. It's great. Uh, the nice thing was who are the producers? Here they are. What's their story? You know, there was some good in-depth. And the range is from newer guys to guys that are historic in that region, so it's really nice. I, I taste a wine. I like no information. I taste it blind. And then I say, I want to learn more. All right, we got to wrap up. It was fun, Thank, you, thank you, for, man. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network's live coverage of Charleston Wine and Food Festival. I'm Sam and Ruby from The Grape Nation. Um, I'm looking at the wrong thing. That's okay. <laughs> You know your name, though, Sam. That's we're cool. grateful to the festival for having Heritage Radio Network back in the Culinary Village for this 60-year running. You can listen to all of our coverage on our podcast, Heritage Radio Network on Tour. Find it on heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be able to listen to Weston's podcast whenever you want. 
Thank you to Weston Horde, the Piedmont guy, and uh, thank you for joining us. Damn, thanks, man. That was fun. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.